Hello! Welcome to another episode, a delayed Wednesday episode of telling everybody everything. I'm so sorry that this is going on a little bit later than usual. I've been busy. I've been in the city. I'm allowed to sort of work again in a socially distanced way. Last month, not last month, last week, I even went into a studio. I wasn't allowed near anybody and we all had PPE equipment. I'm doing photo shoots again. I am maybe going to be in a position to pay my tax in January. What a wonderful thrill that will be. Will any of the money go to healthcare and education? Fuck no, but we'll be able to buy loads of weapons and maybe some MPs can have some champagne on me. So love that for me. I have this pub around the corner. Maybe you've been back to work. Maybe you've been to the pub. I hope you're enjoying some sense of normalcy in your life and that you're safe and happy and healthy and well. We went to the pub and it's so awesome, actually. So you go to the door and there's a man in a full visor, you know, splash mask like a midwife would wear. And he stood there with a clipboard and he takes your name and phone number. And that is a bit of a personal data thing that not a lot of everyone is comfortable with. Um, And I'll tell you why they're not comfortable. I saw a young woman's tweets just the other day and she said a bartender from her local started DMing her being like, oh, haha, I'm a bit cheeky, but I used the information that you gave me in our COVID personal information screening to uh, reach out and tell you how beautiful you are and ask you on a date. I mean, yes, cheeky. Uh, Of course, men somewhere are finding a way to exploit those rules and use them to contact women. So fuck off. My local pub, no one yet has called me asking for a date, but you have to give them your number. And that way, there's this tracking and tracing thing. So if someone was in the pub that day, they contact everyone on the list who's been to the pub and they say, hey, you've been exposed to chlamydia, COVID, you know, hepatitis, whatever it may be. And then you have to self-isolate and get a test. I don't know. I don't know anymore what I think is a good system or bad, but it's fine with me. Like, I've always been fine with my information being given to companies as a wider idea is it good? No. Is it moral? Probably not. Is it an invasion? Yes. But really, for the most part, all these companies want to do is sell to you. And I quite like being sold to. I like when my phone listens to me and goes, hey, you like tasteful interiors. What do you think about this modular sofa? I'm like, "Ah." I was actually just speaking to my husband about modular sofas. Thanks, phone. I love that. Oh, I noticed that You're looking at a lot of um, comedy websites. Maybe you'd like to go see that. Yeah, I would. I would like to do that. And I feel like my phone is a special friend. And the targeted sales and the tracking and tracing really works for me. Don't waste your time trying to sell me a cut of beef or a barbecue or roller skates. I like the streamlining. But anyway, you go into the pub. And they're very good at table service all of a sudden. Oh, Britain, it seems that you can get a waiter to take his ass over to your actual table and take an order. We don't have to place these orders at the bar after all. Who could have thunk it? In Hooters, everybody likes to tease me for having worked there. We pride ourselves in peak customer service. You have to greet a table within the first 60 seconds of them getting in the door and they need to have a drink within 
the first something like four or five minutes of them being in the door. You have to serve these people quickly. Another thing they always tell us is that people might wait for a drink. They might in a pinch wait for food, but when they're ready to go, they're ready to go. And you have to have the bill immediately to hand. And then you don't just drop it off and disappear on holiday for the rest of your life. You come back with the card machine and you finalize the transaction. People, servers, this is when the table is deciding your tip. What the fuck? It would be such a more lucrative industry if you could be a bit more friendly and really just put these simple basic Hooters practices into your everyday standard of service. I digress yet again. So the waiters come to the table now and they have PPE and they give you menus now that unfortunately they have to throw away immediately. So there's a lot of waste. But at our pub, they bring these massive sneeze guards. They can only be described, you know, a step and repeat, like when you're doing the red carpet, you know, you guys know when you're doing a red carpet and there's like a branding board, it's called a step and repeat. The thing that people stand in front of and it's like a backdrop that has brand names or the name of the movie on it. They have clear ones of those and they're that big. And they box your table in with them. So there'll be like a big sneeze guard all alongside you, all alongside the other person at the table, and then in the middle in case anybody's walking to the loo or whatever and they sneeze. And they just make a a little plastic bubble for you. And it's great. It's what I've been looking for my entire life. Yes, wrap me in plastic so that nobody can breathe on me or talk to me or come too close to me. What a dream come true. So that's really fun. I've been to pubs where they don't take it that seriously. And I really appreciate that our pub does. I also think it's because maybe we have a lot of elderly. Well, we won't call them elderly. What do we call those people now? At risk. We have a lot of at risk neighbors. Oh, are you all right, Shelly? Have you been sleeping lately? You look a little at risk. Oh, Martha's getting on, isn't she? She should consider Botox because I've found lately her appearance is borderline at risk. It's new language. What is wrong with people who won't wear masks? What are you doing? And you out yourselves so instantly when you say, it doesn't even work. Look up the science. It doesn't even work. You are so self-centered because no, it doesn't work that well at protecting you but it has been proven to work well at keeping your disgusting germs in your own face. And that's another real silver lining of this whole pandemic that I've been waiting for my entire time in London. Do you know how much hot breath I have had to tolerate in my face pre-pandemic, on the tube, on the bus, People talk loud, they spit, they cough. They're very happy to clip their toenails. If you've not been on a London night bus, then just imagine a world of filth and snot and germs and smell. And that's part of London's charm. It's kind of what I like about London, but it's also sort of how they got the plague. So wear a mask all the time. They have some very fetching ones. My sister sent me an amazing line of masks. So it goes around your ears and then it covers your face, but it's a beautiful silk scarf almost. And then it goes down your neck, um, covers you almost to the nipple, 
I would say, if that's appropriate. And that is just, oh, ladies, gentlemen with tits, the décolletage is what suffers most in UV sunlight. My face looks very young, but my neckline is at risk. Let me tell you, the sun is hitting that first. And now I get to exist in a beautiful world where I don't have to kiss strangers anymore. I don't even have to touch their hands. I speak to them from a spitting distance. And then now I get to travel around totally anonymously. I get to cover my face, just let my beautiful eyes do the, do the talking, do the heavy lifting. And then I get to cover my neck, my chest. I mean, some people think it's a conspiracy to cover us up like women in other cultures. And to that, I say, whatever, I'm enjoying it so far. Speaking of other cultures, I was talking about sun damage and I was saying to my sister, you know, I think that somehow as years go by, I'm getting whiter. This could be because I'm in a period of writing a lot right now in my dark office. It could just be because I take care of my skin better than ever. I'm always wearing sunscreen or I also have hats. I mean, when I go on holiday, I just look like a beekeeper, but I'm getting whiter. And my sister is, what is she? She's like an esthetician. She's Carrie Ryan on Instagram, or maybe Carrie. And then the letter M for mother Ryan, because her middle name is Marie. Now, you know, all her passwords. Um, she says, oh, well, the number of melanocytes, I suppose that has to do with melanin, melanocytes decreases by eight to 20% after age 30, every 10 years or so. Melanocytes produce pigment. So yeah, you can be getting whiter. Oh God, what a terribly sensitive time in the political climate for me to be getting whiter. And I posted this on Instagram because I think it's an interesting little skin factoid from Carrie. And this is the problem with English people is they can't speak English. A lot of them, this guy who writes me a ton of shit now and then he's written what run with being white. What run, what run indeed Jeffrey with being white. God damn it. Speak the language. Go back to where you came from. You first, Jeff. I'm going to go straight into the emails today because I have so many and I have to say that most of them seem to be about the kitchen experience. This woman was looking to buy a kitchen from a local showroom kitchen franchise. And they said, oh, um, here's Catherine Ryan's address. Go there. She has our kitchen. And then this stranger came over and Bobby let her in. First of all, a lot of people are trying to guess what company it was by the name I gave. Well, I always give fake names. So good luck. That was not the actual kitchen lady's name, but also it doesn't matter. You have made it very clear to me that this was in breach of data protection laws and that it's not normal in Britain because, you know, you just have to check every once in a while that I'm not misunderstanding the culture and I'm supposed to be a friendly neighbor and let her in. No, I've moved to exactly the right place. You guys are not friendly. You are more outraged than I actually thought that you would be. People want revenge over this kitchen thing. They're like, you need to sue. You need to do this. You need to get a discount on the kitchen that you have because apparently you're moonlighting as a showroom for the company. Let it just be said. Thank you. I'm vindicated. I am not the asshole in this scenario, and that's good to know. 
absolutely no responses pointed to me as the asshole. The kitchen company is the asshole. Will I reach out for Joe Lysett's help? Will this be a subject on Joe Lysett's Got Your Back? No, because I really think that when I politely rang and very North London style chastised the woman just by saying, don't do that again, I think she's probably not going to do it again. And maybe anyone listening to the podcast who might have access to customers' personal details and might think about giving them out, please don't. And if you are the kitchen person who has my personal details, don't give them out to anyone else as like revenge for this, please. Okay. This email really scared me because the title was partially blocked. You only get a few characters. So it says pandemic killed my d. And I was thinking pandemic killed my dog, my dick, my dad, my dealer. Pandemic killed this woman's dream job. This is Ruth. Ruth found out that the current small business that she works for is closing partially due to the pandemic. Ruth says, I relocated for this job. This was my dream. I loved it so much. This news feels like the last straw during the lockdown. It was a really niche and unique situation. I'm in my 20s. I don't have the sort of capital or expertise to buy the business or recreate this concept. I feel so lost. I really thought this would be my career, at least for a while. The only thing getting me through the lockdown was the thought of getting back to work. I don't know what to do. I feel like I've lost my dream. I feel so fulfilled at work. Do you have any advice about what to do when you've lost your dream job? It has meant the world to me, and I can't imagine being so happy in any other career. Well, if you can't imagine being so happy in any other career, then you will be right. Whatever you are seeking, you will find. It sucks to lose your dream job. It really hurts like any loss. And I suppose you'll have to set aside time to grieve this loss like you would any loss. You're going to have to maybe scream and cry and punch a pillow and get angry or go for a walk or have a few gins, whatever your coping mechanism for grief is. But for me, it just takes distance from the event. So it just takes time. And if you're in your 20s and you're obviously talented enough to get this job, a lot of people are experiencing loss right now and there will be another opportunity for you. Um, Indigenous literature about um, psychiatry, it always says when suffering comes, Don't push it away. You have to invite it into your life and ask you what it has to teach you. You have to trust that even though you feel this job was meant for you, this job was not. And there's something around the corner. There always is. And I'm old. I am old. I'm only in my 30s, but I'm on television. So that's like a human, like normal person, 85. And I just know this. You have to believe me. I've lost things that I really thought that I wanted. Let me think of what they were because I'll tell you. I might have been grief stricken at the time, but I don't care now. What comes to mind immediately is men. I really thought that I wanted men that I didn't and good riddance to them. When I was your age, early 20s, I was living in Toronto and I didn't yet know that I wanted to be a comedian. I thought I wanted to be a presenter. I knew that I loved communicating and I loved media and I loved entertainment and I loved getting all glammed up and I had a lot of confidence when it came to being on stage and chatting to people. I wanted to be still this like pretty cool girl. I wanted to be what you have in this country, DJs. We used to call them VJs, like video jockey. I'm not sure if you call them that in the UK, but that's what we called them. So we had 
Much Music VJs, and then MTV Canada was born. And they needed their own VJs. And I thought, wow, I'm going to have this job. And I tried so hard for the interview. I got all glammed up. And I got pretty far in the interview, too, to the point that they were filming behind the scenes of my auditions. It was like making it pretty far in American Idol. And I was so close, or at least I felt so close. And I didn't get the job. And when I found out that they'd chosen someone else, I was truly heartbroken. I thought that was it. I thought this is my only chance. And of course they went with someone who was more, what was the word? Vanilla. Presenters are usually more palatable than me. They're way less provocative. They're going to read the auto cue. They're going to interview the band. They're not going to say anything that's ever going to upset anyone. You know what you can get from a presenter, Um, especially in Canada. I mean, they're great, but that's what they do. I'm not really suited to that. But at the time, it was so heartbreaking. And I'm glad I didn't get that job, Ruth, because if I had, I would never have been a comedian. So keep your chin up. We don't always get what we want. Sometimes we get what we need. And I can't tell you what that is yet because I don't know, but you have to know that it's there. Otherwise, it won't be. Isn't this nuts? This is genuinely the next email. Catherine, I wanted to share with you the time I quit my job using one of your one-liners. I was the manager of a leisure facility. I felt burnt out, not enough revenue generated, forced to cut staff hours at no notice, and for a while, no purchasing of toilet roll allowed. What? Horrid environment. Having given notice, on my last day, we were in a meeting above a sports hall in a viewing gallery when a football in the sports hall was volleyed against the glass. Huge crashing sound, and one of my colleagues leapt up and yelled out in shock. Five other heads whipped around to see what had occurred and jokes made about everyone's reaction. They lastly commented on mine. I'd sat motionless with a thousand-yard stare through the opposite wall. I caught the eye of my boss and said, Gentlemen, my fucks budget is at an all-time zero. A wry smile appeared on his face and he knew I meant it. Love that line. And in that moment, it gave perfect clarity of where I was emotionally and why I had to leave. A couple of years on, I'm with a new company doing a very different job and just landed a promotion. So it's never easy, but it is worth it. I know these times are very difficult regarding employment, but to anyone listening, I would say don't let your fucks budget get close to zero. Leave first and invest those fucks in a place that deserves it as soon as you can. Oh, that's very nice email. Thank you very much. And I hope that it helps my previous person. Now, I know, Ruth, in the previous email, you want your job. But look, one door closes and a window opens. Even for this dude who clearly curses in the workplace and has no reflexes for a ball fucking crashing off the glass. You've got reflexes, Ruth. You're going to be fine. This one is health-related. Catherine, I've been tempted to email you after every podcast, but finally I'm doing it. Good. And if you're listening now and you want to email me, the email is everything at gmail.com. Do not email a similar email address because there is a very nice lady who's forwarding all your emails to me, but you're emailing the wrong address. I'm not even going to say what it is. I'm only going to say mine. It is telling everybody everything at gmail.com. Back to you. Anyway, I get bitten by everything. I get horrendous heat rash, blah, blah, blah. A few people have asked me if I have lupus. I saw a rheumatologist who just bollocked me because my GP had ordered every blood test on offer. 
Five years later, my skin is still a state and I swear I have arthritis in some finger joints. In terms of bites, I clean my house. The cats have regular treatments. I feel like the NHS is busy doing important things. So thinking a little research and maybe some diet changes would be a good place to start. I have also been told lupus is difficult to diagnose. If you have any books or websites you would recommend, I would love to hear about them. Aren't women funny? Well, I feel like the NHS is just very busy doing more important things. Honey, you have arthritis. Your skin, you say, is a mess and everything's biting you. When will you be important enough? The NHS is not a charity, though, because of our government, it does rely on many charities to boost it. But the NHS is not a charity that's like helping you out of the goodness of its heart. It's a service that you pay for when you do your taxes. Is that money being allocated enough to the NHS? This is a whole different day, but never feel guilty for using the NHS. That is what it's for. And I promise you the people working for the NHS want to help you. This rheumatologist who bollocked you, I mean, oh yeah, sorry. It was me who bullied my GP into writing down all these blood tests because what I wanted to do today, didn't want to go down to the pubs with my friends and be not bitten by a thousand invisible bugs and get heat rash and have arthritis to the point I can't even lift a pint with my fingers. What I wanted to do today, rheumatologist, is come see you and have 10 vials of blood extracted so that I can pass out in the fucking lift because the NHS can't afford to give me a cookie afterwards. Bitch. I don't actually talk to people this way, but I sort of think that you should. All right. So lupus for a start is not difficult to diagnose. Um, there is pretty much one antibody, anti-nuclear antibody that they can test for. And they know what that is. And that's a pretty good marker of lupus. I don't think you always have it when you have lupus, but there are markers. There's an anti-rho thing, an anti-la, there's like an anticoagulant, there's an anti-nuclear AMA, something that I have. I forget what it is, but it's easy enough. And then you also have ESR and I don't really know what it stands for, but it's something to do with how stressed or hyped up your something response, endocrine response. Let's see how angry we can make doctors. Look, it's just not supposed to be high. If it's high, it means you might be fighting an infection or you have some problem. Mine is always kind of like 30, which is too high. That's a good marker for lupus. And then they always check your white blood cells and your red blood cells. And I never have any neutrophils or the other lycopils or something. You know, there's so many markers for lupus. So there are a few things. There's also a Coombs test. Like, don't let anybody tell you, oh, lupus is really hard to diagnose. There have been no advances in it since the 50s. It is bullshit. For a lot of autoimmune stuff, you have to be your own advocate. But you can start if that's what you think you have, even if you don't have lupus, it sounds to me like a lot. And I'm not a doctor. I shouldn't be giving advice, but I do it every week. Just to be clear to everyone, all my advice is anecdotal. Okay. I'm not a professional, though I am pretty much always right. Your symptoms sound like an autoimmune response. There are so many linked autoimmune diseases. They don't necessarily have to be lupus. I personally think lupus itself is split up into like 20 different things and they call all of them lupus because it presents so differently in everyone. But what you need to maybe do, I think, is get online and find 
a immune response diet, like a diet that cools your immune system, a good diet for autoimmune people. And you know what? There's a lot of talk about this in one of my other episodes, the one about the spleen. So listen to that if you haven't and look after yourself and try to stay as stress-free as you can. And do not apologize for using what is a public health service. Some might even call it a national health service. Here's another. Hi, Catherine. I had a baby during lockdown. Oh, give you. That's been pretty crazy. The baby's now six weeks old. So far, we have isolated and only let family hold the baby since grandparents were allowed to help out with childcare under the new guidance. Guidance. The guidance given by this government is as consistent as the behavior of one of those emotional support dogs that's just a regular cockapoo with absolutely no training. You know those women, they just want to bring their dogs, and I'm sorry I said women, but I do mean women. They want to bring their dogs on flights for free and on public transport. So they strap a, please don't pet me, I'm working vest on the dog. And the dog's in the grocery store, just shitting everywhere, eating kids, pissing all over the tube seat. Oh, it's an emotional. This dog is giving you zero guidance. This dog is an absolute menace and it's destroying this McDonald's, ma'am. Now that lockdown is easing, more and more of my friends want to meet the baby, and some of them have not been taking lockdown as seriously as others. <laughs> I don't even need to read on. You are considering letting these people near your infant? You are considering letting these people burst your little COVID bubble and compromise your lowered immunity? I certainly fucking hope not. Let's find out. One of them is desperate to hold the baby and wasn't very understanding when I said we weren't comfortable with that for now. Oh, good for you. And need to socially distance if we do meet up. Coming out of lockdown is more stressful than being in lockdown for me, especially with a newborn. How do I maintain friendships with people who have a different approach to the guidance than I do? Casey, you don't. People who want to compromise your health and your baby's health are not your friends. People who are so selfish that they want to get a little newborn baby fix and smell it. I understand that people have different theories about what's going on with this virus. Presumably your friends just don't think it's as serious as you do, but they don't have to because they seem in a category where, you know, they might be okay, but a newborn baby, I'm sorry. You as a new mother need to stand up for your little baby cub and just tell people to fuck right off. I'll tell you one of my biggest regrets when Violet was born, and I regret this, not in a shameful way, but just in a way that really winds me up and makes me angry 11 years on, is that I placated my parents' bullshit hatred for one another and allowed them both to come to London when Violet was born. They won't be in the same room with each other, and we had a very small one-bedroom flat at the time anyway. So my mother stayed with me and my dad stayed in an Airbnb down the road and I had to constantly leave the house to see my dad with my baby in pubs and things. And I'm not talking about a six-week-old baby. I mean when Violet was one day old. I had to go to a restaurant. I've still got like wet tail or whatever you call it. I have a screaming, cold, newborn baby in pubs. People in beer gardens were like, oh my God, I've never seen a baby that small. Is your baby okay? Because no one is used to seeing a baby that fresh out in public, really. And I really made myself available to both my parents. And I 
had to split the time up evenly because of course they were desperate to see their first grandchild, but I really compromised my well-being, my child's well-being, and it made bringing Violet home, and I'm sorry, I know my parents listened to this, it was not a good experience for me. And I don't think it's anyone's fault. I understand people love babies. I understand people love me. I know your friends love you and they're just excited to see the baby. But I'm sorry. Fuck anyone that wants to go against any new mother's wishes. They won't stop being friends with you. Just be like, oh, you know what? My baby has projectile diarrhea everywhere. And actually, my vagina is quite torn. And so we just don't want to meet up with you yet. Just say whatever you want to say. They need to hear it all and do what, please do whatever you need to do to be safe and warm and happy and comfortable and mentally calm with that new baby. If I have any other babies ever again, I'm telling you now, they can cry, they can beg, they can guilt trip me. Catherine Ryan is a whole new man and no one is coming to visit us for the first I'm going to say three months. Yeah, because you spoiled it the first time, everyone. My friend has such a beautiful body. I'm sorry. I'm just looking at her Instagram. If you like bums and who doesn't, and if you just want to follow a really nice, friendly, down-to-earth woman, she's so supportive of other women. She's always liking my sister's posts and TikToks and just all her little dance posts and stuff. And if you want any workout inspo, because I'll tell you, this is a mother of two and she just looks strong. Every time I see her, I'm like, this woman is kind and happy and strong. And I love her bum. I want a bum like that. Her name is Texas Thighs on Instagram, not on her birth certificate, though that would be an extraordinary example of nominative determinism. Uh, Her name's Courtney. All right. I've just skimmed through this next email and it's actually quite difficult and serious and feels like too much for me to answer. It feels like I'm definitely out of my depth. And so I thought the best thing to do is just call Violet up. Violet was 10 the last time she appeared on the podcast. Welcome, Violet. How old are you now? I'm 11. Whoa, we've been in lockdown forever. Violet, this is a very grown up and very emotionally complex email, but I've asked you here today because I was making, well, I wasn't making fun of someone to their face. I was slagging someone off um, looking at my phone last night. Um, I can't say why. They were just spending a lot of time doing this quilting. And I was like, why spend all the time doing this? And Violet just looked over my shoulder at what I was looking at. And she was so clever and putting it all together so quickly. She said, well, mom, that person just wants to feel useful. And you were right about that. Yeah. And I wasn't, I was only slagging that person off as a test. I'm actually a really good person. I was just seeing if you would notice and you did the right thing. You don't think I would really slag someone off, do you? Yeah. Oh no. Yeah, I was. Okay. Um, this email, (laughs) what, what kind of fake name can we give this girl? Uh, let's see. Jerrica? No. Jerrica's a stunning. No. What about, hmm, Katie. Katie's good. Okay. My name's Katie. I need some advice about courage. You seem like the kind of person that's very capable saying what needs to be said. I'm not. I'm 22. I come with a lot of baggage. To put it short, since I was nine years old when my abusive father finally left us, I have primarily been a carer for my mom 
who has a mental disability. Mm-hmm. So do you know what that's like? Yeah. Yeah, so she's basically been the grown-up in her house. Yeah. Always, really. Um, that sounds like a really hard life. So this has been at times incredibly difficult, frustrating, and upsetting life for me, but I just do what needs to be done. I'm not good at talking to people about my past and current experiences. I don't want anyone feeling sorry for me. I have a boyfriend. We've been together for two years. Learning how to talk about my struggles has been a big hurdle for me in my first relationship, but I've learned how to do it with him, and he could not be more supportive, understanding, patient. However, my need for courage arises because I have not told his family about my life. We've been together for two years. Being with his parents and his sister gives me moments of the stable, wonderful, normal life I always craved. They're generous with their time and resources. They volunteer, they donate, they're great people. But I am paralyzed with the fear of opening up to them. I'm paranoid they could disown me if they knew the truth of my undesirable life. I don't know how to explain it. I just want them to think the very best of me. I held off because I wanted them to form an opinion of me without the burden of pity forcing them to be kind even if they didn't like me. But now I really can't put it off much longer. They've asked to meet my mom. My boyfriend's never tried to push me. He's just being logical when he says I'm going to have to do it at some point. I've tried practicing alone in my head, but I end up crying every time. Do you have any advice at all on how to be honest about difficult elements of your life with people whom you just want to see you as a perfect angel? I have the perfect advice for this. Yeah, how do you have that so fast? Like, when she started talking about how such great people they are, I, like, kind of was like, okay, well, if they're such great people, they can accept what type of person you are and your background. Your background doesn't reflect on you as a person. You could have the most abusive background. If they don't like you for you, then I think that's like a sign. No, they're not the right people. Maybe your boyfriend is the right people, is the right person, but that family isn't the right person if they can't accept your background. Yeah, my mom always used to say, if you see a family with no problems, then you see a family that you don't know very well. Yeah. Because when you start to get to know a family, even a family that looks perfect to you, you'll find somewhere in their background that they've had obstacles to overcome. Yeah. Um, her background shows a lot of resilience, and she's like a really resilient person. I hope that they're good enough people to see that you're actually a really good person. You've gone through so much, and that's actually made you so much of a stronger person that you are today. You have to, you've been building this up for two years. You need to actually just like let it go, tell them and be, come like, tell them exactly what's like your background. Um, I don't think pity when I look at your story. I'm like, I, I'm like, wow, that seems like such a brave, strong, resilient person. Yeah. So I would try to put that to one side. No one's going to pity you. I definitely think your boyfriend has a point that you can't put it off any longer because the more you do put it off, It sounds like you're going over it in your head and you're crying. I think sometimes we build things up and you will feel so relieved when you do introduce your mother to this family and you find that they are the people that you thought. Maybe your real fear is that these lovely people, this wonderful family that you feel close to, maybe your fear is that they aren't so wonderful after all and they will shun you or judge your mother but I don't think you have to be afraid of that I think they will understand and they will welcome you and love you just as much as they did before yeah 
Do you want to do another one or you have places to be? I made an appointment. You made an appointment with whom? Gabby. Fine. See you later. Thank you, guys. This is what she does now. Just one more question. When you're older, if you find a partner that has a really lovely, normal family, what's your plan for telling them about your mentally disturbed mother? Well, I need to... It's a lot to take in, so I need to start <laughs> slow. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Will you introduce me to your partner's family? Yeah, of course. And you won't be embarrassed? Well, I would introduce oh. them unless... No, I wouldn't be embarrassed. I would introduce them to you to them only if they were nice people. What if they were really, really posh? They were really, really nice, but they were like, I'll tell you, Maureen, what I can't stand is that horrible American woman, that comedian. She's uh, really terrible and comedy's not what it used to be and I don't think they should be letting women do such things. I'd dump him. <laughs> Just for his dad being an old white man? Yeah. Good answer. All right, thanks, Violet. Have a great night. You too. Her accent is so funny now. Like, she's been raised in Heathrow Airport. She sometimes dips into this American. She'll be like, if he's a good person, if he's a good person, if he... And people say, oh, she's sounding a lot more like you. No, she's sounding a lot more like TikTok and television and YouTubers. That is where she gets that accent. She's sounding more like James Charles. She doesn't sound like me. Well, thank you very much for listening. I feel so blessed that you tune in all the time. I love receiving your letters. I'm sorry that I can never get to too many of them, but there are just so many, many, many coming in. Please keep them coming. Telling everybody everything at gmail.com. You can ask me anything you want. Qualified, unqualified, over 18, under 18, we'll find a way to answer it. And remember, professional advice is always better than my very unprofessional fucking advice. Have a great day.